And the problem is many of us view ourselves as presenters, therefore we must present. present. We are speakers, therefore we must speak. But sometimes we have to understand we don't only bring our words, we bring ourselves to every presentation. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you will hear a conversation with Mark Brown, the 1995 world champion of public speaking. You will hear about Mark's unlikely path into a professional speaking career. Most important, you will hear what you can do in your presentations, no matter how technical the topic, to help your audience remember your points even years later. Welcome to this episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti. This program is a combination of content and conversations, and this episode is going to be a conversation. A conversation with Mark Brown, a former world champion of public speaking, but you'll hear more about that perhaps from him. Full disclosure, I actually hired Mark to be my coach a couple of years ago when I was in that competition and made it as far as the semifinals. And without Mark's help, uh, I would not have been able to feel as confident in the stories that I was telling. Even though I didn't make it to the finals, I feel I went to that semifinal and gave the speech I was prepared to speech, prepared to give, <laughs> thanks to Mark's help. So, Mark, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. David, thank you for the honor of seeing you again. And of, yes, I remember very well our coaching sessions as you proceeded to the semifinals. I'm not sure if the world understands how significant that is. I think you were the top 100 out of 30 thousand people worldwide who entered that contest so pretty good odds and congrats to you and your little friend by the way <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you and and your own experience in the world championship of course went further than mine well yes i i first entered the toastmasters contest 26 years ago in 1994 completely by accident i replaced a club contestant on two and a half hours notice and if anyone here is not familiar with toastmasters the contest really back then when i when i was involved was a six-round competition club area division district region now semifinals and then world championship and that year i ended up going all the way to the finals not knowing what i was doing david very honestly oh my goodness and i that's hard for me to finals against twenty five thousand people i was in the finals did not win place or show <laughs> but to my great fortune i was blessed to be introduced to David Brooks, who was a 1990 world champion, who offered to give me his guidance, his coaching, and his mentorship. And to this day, I call him the master mentor. Because one uh. year later in 95, 25 years after the, before the recording of this podcast, I was back in the contest, club, area, division, district, region, went to the finals, and was blessed to become the world champion in 1995, some 25 years ago. <laughs> And I've met David Brooks as well at a Toastmasters uh, huh. district um, 
competition and district conference where he was our guest speaker. And I, I'm sure that uh, working with him as a coach must have been quite an experience for you as well. Oh, I learned so much, David, and much of what I teach now is a result of time spent with David, seeing him, experiencing his technique. And I, to this day, I call him the master mentor. The master mentor. Yes, and just, just to avoid confusion, this is not the well-known David Brooks, who is a, uh, a New York Times columnist not a and commentator. Not a columnist. <laughs> <laughs> this is David Brooks, who is well-known to many of us in the Toastmasters world yes, as the he, 1990 he, world champion. Uh, a very, very top-notch guy. I've enjoyed getting to know him. Maybe we should have him on the show. I would certainly recommend it because his skill as a wordsmith, and I consider myself, I'm a self-confessed word nerd, but he was a high school journalism teacher. And he was also involved in publications and his company was called Working with Words at one point in time. So he truly understands how words work, how to use them effectively. And David, I think, is one of the most skilled people I know in, in using words in a way to communicate ideas across different platforms and in different ways. He could do it in purely humorous ways and straightforward ways in the motivational ways. And I'm sure he's also quite adept at communicating to technical audiences, to youth audiences, to intellectual audiences of various kinds. That I found most impressive. He knows how to use a spoken word to communicate ideas to all kinds of individuals. And he passed that on to me 25 years ago. With my initial love of words and language, it has only helped me to become better at what I do today. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about what you do today and the journey that you've undergone to get to, get to that point. Well, these days, David, I am a professional speaker, of course. I'm also a speaking coach. I help individuals shine on the platform these days, both virtual and physical. So I spend much of my time coaching individuals, reviewing their scripts, sharing ideas. And I've also found myself helping individuals now to create videos that tell their story in the best way. I began that journey, as you know, back in the mid-1990s when I was with Toastmasters in the contest. At the time, though, interestingly enough, David, I was a mainframe computer programmer at a company called Reader's Digest in Pleasantville, New York. And when I won the world title, I was doing, my languages was communicating with computers. Back, <laughs> and I say mainframe computers. I made assembler computers. and COBOL way back then. But after I won the Toastmasters World Championship, and it came a point in time where I was transferred to a completely different division, different department, and they created a job for me where I was traveling across North America giving presentations in junior and senior high schools, largely because the speech I used to win the World Championship was converted from a seven-minute speech to a 45- to 60-minute youth assembly program based on a Disney film, Beauty and the Beast. And I've delivered that presentation to over a million young people across the world since mid-1990s. I was also blessed, David, just so you know, in 1999, my program was recorded in Maine, was put on the radio, and then it was recorded on audio cassettes, and Maine Public TV got hold of it. And said, could you do that program for us? And I did the program for Maine Public Television. 
And someone somewhere submitted the old school video back then to the National TV, sorry, the Academy for TV Arts and Sciences. And oh. my program for youth was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Instructional and Educational Program. Without my knowledge, I got a phone call. What are you doing on March 17th? Uh, I'm going to be home. You need to go to Boston. You need to get a suit, a black suit or a tux. Why? <laughs> Your video got an Emmy nomination. You're having the Emmys up there. You got to go. And of course, it was wonderful to go and attend the Emmys. It was beautiful. I did not win. It's very difficult to beat a production of The Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, but I didn't have any designs on winning. I was simply enjoying the experience. And I never gave the speech to win awards. I really wanted to win the hearts of America's young people. And that was the best part. Since then... I'm doing some more corporate keynotes and a lot more coaching. And COVID-19 has not been very helpful in terms of getting keynotes, but we all make do with what we have. And I certainly enjoy what I do now. I collaborate with other speakers. I do online workshops. I think you had Darren LaCroix on a few weeks ago. He I and did. I do several. Every month we're doing a workshop, uh, an online workshop to help people out. So I'm, I'm doing that. I'm using the, t- the gift I have to help instruct, guide, coach, teach, and also deliver presentations as well. Long answer to a short question, but I wanted to give you full the full picture, David. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, and I'm sure that my viewers slash listeners, because this is a video program as well as an audio podcast, will appreciate that as well, uh, getting a sense of, of who I'm talking to today. And you mentioned Darren LaCroix, and I know that you yeah. and Darren do a podcast together as well. Yes, we do. We do a program podcast called the Unforgettable Presentations Podcast. We made the decision to do it in the summer of 2019 with zero experience, no knowledge. We made the commitment. We've done it. And we began in August, shortly after the Toastmasters convention in Colorado was held. And we just recorded our 68th weekly episode yesterday, and it should be airing today or tomorrow. We've done it every week for the last 68 weeks. We've held on to our promise and our plan, and we deliver content. We have interviews. We have conversations, just like you do, and we thoroughly enjoy sharing what we have with our audiences as well. Well, I'm impressed, and I congratulate you for doing 68 weekly episodes. That's yeah, that's quite a you. commitment. Uh, I've committed to doing bi-weekly and have managed to stick with that pretty consistently since May. Uh, yes. And uh, with the help of people like you who graciously are willing to give up their time for, uh, for a conversation with me. Let's turn a little bit to something that might be um, perhaps of more direct interest to my audience of people who give sure. technical presentations, scientists, engineers. As you know, I have an engineering background. Yes. I worked in broadcast engineering before I, uh, before I stumbled through a training project that I entered initially as the subject matter expert and ended up being the person running the project. And that was what sort of catapulted me out of broadcasting and into a second career as a trainer and speaker. And you must have a technical background as well. You were doing mainframe programming. I, I did not know that before. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I was doing mainframe programming and I was not involved in any way with communications there. It was, I would only talk to my computer and get printouts and reports and make sure things ran according to plan. So I didn't really have to deliver presentations as a, as a mainframe programmer. My only communications would be at staff meetings if I had to, you know, report on a on a product status, give an update, and that would t- last all of 
35 to 40 seconds. <laughs> so I wasn't the presenter per se in a technical sense or technical world. As, as a young person, I had been involved in drama and music and I didn't have any difficulty having to deliver a presentation or to speak to people. I was elected as my student body president in high school and my high school classmates, interestingly enough, wrote a a humorous comment about me in the annual yearbook. They said, Mark is always seen in the center of a crowd relating one of his experiences to his listeners who have to make sure they have their dictionaries with them for frequent <laughs> consultations. Again, <laughs> I'm a wordsmith, but I think when it comes to technical presentations, I, I have, I've done very few of them. I think, though, it's very easy to get caught up in the language of the industry and sometimes in the acronyms of the industry. And I've often heard technical presentations with the acronyms and the language of the industry, and they're very, very data heavy, graphs and stats and, and so on. But I've, I've also learned that sometimes when you can add a human face to an abstract concept, it has that much more appeal to the audience you're speaking to, and it can have a greater connection with them, not just on a head level, but on a heart level. I believe stories connected by the heart and, and, and stories told well in the right context can be very, very effective, even with technical presentations. Okay, let's go deeper into that. Um, using stories and technical presentations, what is the what is the advantage of that? You said something about connecting with the heart. I want to hear more about that. Well, if I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a wild example. And there may be those who will hear this who will say his numbers are incorrect because I'm going to make these numbers up. But for argument's sake, one could be a safety expert who was knee-deep in seatbelt usage, in road safety, in crash statistics and mortality rates. It could be a sort of somber subject. But let's say, given an opportunity to address a community about the concerns regarding traffic safety, driving, seatbelts, all of the above, one may say that recent studies have revealed that in 37% of fatal traffic accidents, the decedent was not wearing a seatbelt. It's wise for you to always wear a seatbelt in your car. You get that. I've okay. given you numbers. Mm -hmm. Research shows 37%. Of course, we understand that here. But if I were to expand it and add a minute to my, my story and to my talk and say, recent studies show in 37% of fatal tra crashes, the decedent was not wearing a seatbelt. Josh was 17, a high school baseball player with a promising future. He was so good that three local colleagues were scouting him in his junior year. He had won the state championship one Thursday afternoon, and he and his buddies had asked his mom and dad to allow them to take the car to go to the local ice cream shop to celebrate. Sure, go ahead, have fun, drive safe, guys. And off they went. They had their ice cream. On the way back home, a mere eight-block drive, they got hit by a drunk driver. The car spun and flipped. Josh wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and he was ejected. His three teammates were seriously injured. And tragically, Josh was the only one who did not survive. A promising young life, a bright future, and a family shattered because he didn't wear his seatbelt. I wouldn't want you or anyone you love to be one of those, that 37%. Please, buckle up. Same stat, 37% at the front, 
at the end to remind you of the stat and the story in the middle to make the heart connection. Because chances are there's someone in the audience who may know a Josh, a high school ball player, promising future, a family, friends who want to have a good time, who didn't do anything wrong. Someone else is at fault. But he made one mistake. Mm. The story connects in so many different ways at a heart level because it's also realistic. If you ask 10 people on the street, if they know of anyone who was ever in a car crash, who knows? You may get seven or eight who said, yeah, I, I understand. I know that. So the familiarity of the situation makes the audience feel more personally connected. I use the name Josh. You may know someone named Josh. I don't know. I mentioned baseball. You may know somebody who played baseball. I don't know. But all of those familiar characteristics, it's realistic, but it makes the number more real. Mm-hmm. So the idea is you can humanize the numbers and give a human face to an abstract or, or a scientific concept. In my experience, chances are it establishes a connection with the audience members that adds a realism. And in some cases, it could add a sense of urgency depending on the context of the presentation. That's just one simple example that I've used several times. And I often get a little aha when people hear how the story connects the data in a human way. Now, the story connects the data to something that might link to an individual audience member's experience. Yes, and and there's an emotional piece there, not to so much tug at your heart, but now the number takes on a meaning because of that personal experience. And you've made it more memorable by putting that emotional connection in there. Yeah, we, yeah, because, you know, one of my friends, Michael Haig, he's a Hollywood script consultant. His company is called Story Mastery, and he's a consultant to the stars. I get to work with him ever so often. And yeah, he's it's my he, second he, guest to mention Michael Haig, because I, I believe Michael Davis mentioned him a couple of weeks oh, ago yes, as well. Oh, yes, incredible. Yeah, I'm sure Michael told you that Michael Haig, you know, Will Smith had him on speed dial. You know, he <laughs> actually, Will Smith, yes, the Will Smith had Michael Haig on retainer for all of his scripts for his movies movies. That's how good this man is. And I count him one of my friends and associates, but he always says the purpose of a story is to elicit emotion. And I realized when there's an emotional connection, as you said earlier, David, it's more memorable. We remember it, we connect to it, and we remember a story days, weeks, months, even years down the road. And I don't mean to brag when I say this, but earlier today, I had a technical check with a group in Abu Dhabi, UAE. And one of the gentlemen there says, Mark, I remember when you came to Bahrain, to Dubai, to deliver a presentation. Your title was The Dash Between the Dates, and it was so good, I broke copyright law, and I gave everyone a copy of the DVD. It was so powerful, so memorable. And one man said, yes, you had the chisel in your hand. You were hammering out this thing. David, I was in in Dubai for that particular presentation in the spring of 2003. 2003. And this is a conversation that that you had recently. 17. I had that. I spoke to them this morning at 7 o'clock Eastern time. I spoke in Dubai 17 years ago, and they told me what I said 17 years ago. I only give the example from today, David, to, to reinforce the truth that a story well told becomes memorable. And if you remember the story, chances are you remember the point. If you remember the point, the data that you've been trying, you were supposed to receive will be there. It has a certain sequential value. 
Remember the story, remember the point, remember the data. Then if you can deliver that to your audience in that way, and they remember all three, your objective is achieved. Your and objective. the bonus is your story is now in their memory bank. Your story is in their memory bank. What a powerful lesson. I tell you what, we're going to take a short break. Sure. And when we come back from the break, I'd like to hear more from you about some of your storytelling techniques that help to make those stories truly memorable. Certainly. Thanks. All right. I'm David Odie. This is The Power of Story and Science. My guest is Mark Brown, and we will be right back. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience. But you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. And we're back. This is The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Odie, and I'm having a delightful conversation with my coach, Mark Brown, about the power of story to make your data and your points truly memorable. And what I recall from working with Mark on my own stories is that Mark is so skilled at homing in on what makes a story Sticky. What is it that that gives a story staying power? Um, can you tell my audience some some techniques that they can quickly employ to help make their stories more memorable? Certainly. Thanks. Thanks, David. You know, one of the things I I have found very helpful is the conversion of content from narration to dialogue. Mm, and that dialogue. comes yeah. with meaningful characters. Good stories have meaningful characters. An example I gave just now of the young man, Josh, I could have said a baseball player or a kid in high school, but I gave him a name. I told you how old he was. I told you what skills he had and how his baseball future was so, was so positive. So if we introduce characters who are meaningful, to whom we can relate, that's the first step. Have identifiable characters with whom the audience or listener can have a connection, and then let's hear their voice. Very mm. often we mention that my wife and I went shopping and she told me she wanted to get this item and she wanted to buy a, a gift for her cousin, and we hear about what happened. That's basically reporting. However, if we convert some of that narration into dialogue, and we get to hear the voices of the identifiable characters, then we're almost having not just hearing a speech, we're beginning to have an experience. Mm, and one of my mantras is, don't just give a speech, give an experience. Don't just give a speech, give an experience. So if we hear someone's voice, if we hear their emotion that they have, their happiness, their sadness, their anger, their fear, 
whatever their, their mood may be, if we hear them in their voice, now what happens in our brains is we begin to see the character more clearly as more identifiable, and the more identifiable, the more relatable. So real quickly, one, have identifiable characters, and two, let's hear their voices. Use dialogue. Don't have, use dialogue when, it's, when people are interacting. Don't use dialogue the whole time, not doing a play, but you have to understand what will be meaningful with dialogue, what parts of their conversation will be meaningful for my purposes. And there are different ways to apply that. A third idea behind having characters and dialogue is when you give the audience the characters dialogue, consider this. Don't use 15 words when five would do. Mm. There is mm -hmm. power in the brevity of the language you use because part of the experience of a story for me, David, is the audience having the imagination to see, hear, comprehend, and experience. It's kind of like when we read a wonderful book and we find out that someone has made the full-length feature film and we got to go see the film. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gone to a film having read the yes. book with great expectations and then realized that was someone else's vision of what you thought you saw in the book? And you say, you know what? I can't like the book better because I had my own picture of what it looked like. Yeah. That's yes. been my experience. Uh -huh. So as presenters, we have language, we have our faces, we have our bodies. We can create the image in the minds of the listeners. But if we use too many words and we get wordy, we deprive them of a chance to see and experience rather than hear. And sometimes the best dialogue is nonverbal. Oh, sometimes the best dialogue is nonverbal. Now that sounds yes, like a Yes, for example, let the reaction tell the story. Darren LaCroix, whom you interviewed, was competing in the World Championships in 2001. I happened to be his coach for that, for that particular speech. I was honored to serve him. And at one point in his presentation, he talks about doing a, a comedy routine on stage where he brought a, an audience member up to do hand motions while he told a story. A very common improv technique. You stand and they move their hands and he said it was, it was going very, very badly. And in his rehearsals, he planned to say, I told her, lady, please do something with your hands. And she did. She covered my mouth. I said, stop. Darren, do it again and delete the last sentence. Yeah, she did. The audience at the contest roared. He didn't have to say, she covered my mouth. All he had to do was show it. So it was nonverbal, but it was effective. In the same way, actors will use their faces. A little smirk, a shocked look. They tell you, are you kidding me? It was. And sometimes the action is more powerful than the word. And the problem is many of us view ourselves as presenters, therefore we must present. present. We are speakers, therefore we must speak. But sometimes we have to understand we don't only bring our words, we bring ourselves to every presentation, whether it be an inspirational speech, a humorous speech, or even a technical presentation. We bring ourselves, our personalities, we bring who we are to every presentation. And if we give our audiences an experience, not only will they gain the head knowledge, they'll be more willing and more inclined to embrace the message on a fuller level. And one of my beliefs is when you give the audience the experience, 
again, it becomes more memorable. Mm-hmm. Good characters, using dialogue, minimizing the words, and at times eliminating words are just four techniques, three techniques that I found very, very helpful in storytelling. There are more, but I don't think we have time for a full <laughs> workshop on storytelling today. But certainly I'd encourage everyone to consider having identifiable characters. Give us a chance to hear their voice. And there are times when words can be less and expressions can be more. Now, particularly, because we're doing so many virtual presentations, we're confined to a box in front of us. Yes. But we have our faces. We have our smiles. We have our thoughtful, pensive looks. We have our pauses. We, have, we can do so much within a small space if we master those techniques very, very well. And there's one more thing to do with dialogue and characters. I call it the Goldilocks principle. As a small child growing up in Kingston, Jamaica, I loved when my dad would read me bedtime stories. And for those who were wondering, his accent sounds a little odd. Yes, I am Jamaican by birth. <laughs> my father would read Goldilocks and the Three Bears to us every so often. And I didn't understand back in 1966 what my dad was doing. But he would say, somebody's been sitting in my chair. It was Papa Bear. Somebody was in my chair. Mama Bear. Somebody was in my chair and they broke it. That was Baby Bear. Three different vocal pitches to, the, to, to indicate three different characters. Not massive changes from here to here, but just enough for us to differentiate Papa Bear, Mama Bear, and Baby Bear. Very slight pitch changes can help magnify the image of a character in the mind of the audience. And I called it the Goldilocks principle because that was how I first learned it. That's My dad became all the different characters. And you mm-hmm. watch some of the great speakers when they launch into a dialogue between two characters. You get to find slight changes, slight nuances that help the audience see the characters. And it makes a small but significant difference. One more time, identifiable characters. Give them a voice. Let's have dialogue. Let's have different voices for different characters. And sometimes fewer words and more actions make the, make the action pop and more sticky in the minds of those who are having an experience, not just hearing a speech. Have an experience, not just hear a speech. So a speaker needs to not just give a speech, but to give an experience. And I believe that, yes. And using those techniques you were just listing for us, I can see how you could turn that content into an experience that would be memorable. Well, it is my hope, though, that, you know, again, as we think, it's often difficult for those of us who spend a lot of time doing technical presentations to grasp that. And there's one other concern, David, someone shared with me one day during a coaching session about the idea of using story in technical and corporate settings. And a client said, well, stories, personal stories. I I can't tell stories. I'm dealing with the CEO and the CFO. And I said, well, that's true. You see CFO, CIO, COO, you know, chief information officer and chief Mm -hmm. financial officer and all. Yeah. But do you realize before you see those initials, there is a name? So yes. And that name represents an individual, a person, a mother, a husband, Right. A son who has a, an elder parent in, in a nursing care facility. A, a, a mother who's concerned about her daughter failing out of high school. You have human beings who are 
in these positions. Don't divorce yourself from the fact that while you are talking about technical issues or financial matters, you are dealing with human beings who are also just like you in very, very many ways. And I, I encourage my clients and those listening and watching today to not only think of the position, look beyond the position and see the person. Look beyond if you look the beyond position. the position and see the person, you might be able in conversation to find a common ground and you may have a story in your arsenal that may be appropriate for them where they are at that time. Quick case in point, I had to do a program for a company in Ohio and I got to work with the president who was a wonderful job of the company and they're a sales group and I could talk sales all day long with him if I had to. That was not, that was not my intent. I had to give an inspirational speech. But in our conversations, I learned he's also a pastor of a church. And I found some common ground with him. And I saw him as the kind of person that he was and the leader he had to be, not only for an organization, but for his church. And in our conversations, we began to talk back and forth. He actually asked me to do a second module on leadership for his team because I'd established a rapport with him, understanding the kind of person that he was. He got to know me. You will not always have those chances delivering a technical presentation. But if you know your audience, the background that they have, what the concerns are, what their fears are, what issues need to be addressed, there may be a story in your experience where you helped another company like theirs or where you had an experience with a solution that was found that might be appropriate for them or a technique that was used. There's so many ways to look at this, but if you can find something common and then even tell, tell the business story, tell the business story. If you have been given testimonials of work you have done, tell the testimonial story of how you supported and helped some other business dealing with the technical issue and how you solved that for them. Insert that in the presentation as validation and credibility. And there's mm-hmm. so many ways to use story within that environment to accomplish a goal as long as ultimately you want to serve those who are hearing your presentation. Serve your audience. Yes, Yes, that's a recurring theme of mine as well. Know your audience. Know what you're going to do to serve your audience. Because I I like to remind people to give technical presentations, your job is not to serve information. Yes. Your job is to serve your audience. I like that. Your job is not to serve information. Your job is to serve your audience. And I think I really admire that even because having a servant's mentality, when you ask, how can I serve? If you think about it, there may be experiences in your own life that can lend it, lend themselves and support the idea of service. And when we share our stories, very often, I said earlier, it gives us credibility of our with our experience, what we have been through, what we have learned, maybe our own mistakes and what we have learned from them are just what the other individuals need, even though it's technical. The experience you've had with technical knowledge together may be the gift that you can give to your audience. The gift you can give to your audience. I love that phrase as well. And with that, I believe we're going to need to draw our conversation, as delightful as it is, toward a close. Before we wrap up, though, is there a way that you would like people to know that they can either get in touch with you or take advantage of your deep knowledge of storytelling? Thank you so much, David. Yes, I'm easily accessible. Of course, I'm always highly Googleable, but the best way is to 
visit markbrownspeaks.com. M-A-R-K-B-R-O-W-N-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. I thought to keep it simple. What's my name? Mark Brown. What do I do? I speak. <laughs> I also coach as well. There's much information on that website. You can also email me through a page on the website as well if you wish. My email is mark at markbrownspeaks.com. If you need any help, uh, I, I certainly would love to find it. If, if anyone wants help with coaching or storytelling, please feel free to reach out to me. You can do so through my website, of course, or contact me directly. David, thank you for the honor of, of serving you. And I would also remind everyone to look for and listen to the Unforgettable Presentations podcast available on many platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. I think Deezer, that's for for your platform. It's certainly easily accessible. And every week we have information on how to make your talks unforgettable. We have guests of all kinds, Hall of Fame speakers, and Darren and I often have just great content to help you go from good to great to unforgettable. Go from good to great to unforgettable. I love that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mark, for taking the time to engage with this conversation with me today. I've found it so helpful, and I'm sure that my audience has found it helpful as well. If anyone in my audience... Thank you. If anyone in my audience would like to follow up with me or give feedback on the program or suggestions for future guests, the best way to do that would be to go simply to storyandscience.com. That's storyandscience.com. That will take you to the homepage of this program. And from there, you can explore the rest of my website and even find the buttons that say schedule consultation if you'd like to get on my calendar for a 15-minute Zoom conversation. I'm David Odie. This is the power of story and science. Thank you for being part of this experience. This has been the power of story and science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.